Hey, Jordan, uh, what's up? How, how are you holding up? Uh, hey, Rob. I'm just hanging in there. It's a pretty rough week, right? Yeah, you could Did say not that. go according to plan, no. a lot of this stuff. Mm-mm. Very disappointing stuff. Exactly. You know, when we like... When we try to uh, pitch these big ideas to clients, get involved in these big high-profile races, it always, uh, you know, you, you realize as it's going on that you're setting yourself up for disappointment maybe. And when you feel like, you know, you're getting invested in it, I'm not only invested on a work standpoint in the work that we're doing, but, you know, I feel like my heart's really into this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you realize that you're going to be let down if it doesn't go your way. Uh, but you know, that doesn't, even knowing that it doesn't always prepare you for when it happens. Just that feeling of being let down, disappointed. It's tough. And I was really feeling that this week. Yeah. You know, I, I try to kind of temper my enthusiasm and my, uh, optimism about some of these races. Cause you know, it's a, it's always a crapshoot. You never really know how voters are going to go. But I, I think I was guilty of letting myself get like just yeah. too wide-eyed about this one. Yeah, I really thought Joe Kennedy had this one. Uh, it was looking really good. All the the focus groups that I was running and all the those you know polls that I had I was working on, they showed me that young people, especially young voters, really like people who are very moist, and mm-hmm. so I thought it was a shoe in. To, to have have Kennedy in there, and so again, I was just really I was really disappointed with the result. He was not able to unseat Ed Markey. Unfortunately, very very disappointing. I even in his last campaign stop, I made sure that they shined him up a little a little bit extra, a little bit extra Vaseline there, mm-hmm. with stuff in the hair. I was like, this is a he's a shoe in. He's got this, and it just didn't didn't happen. Very very upsetting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I thought we really worked through some of the finer points of his campaign rhetoric and his stump speeches. Um, I thought this would really get him over the finish line. It was just like, you know, really hammering that people want younger ideas, fresher ideas, stuff like that. And, you know, there was this kind of this like, uh, you know, the Bernie crowd was often like, why are you running? Like, no, seriously, like, why are you why are you doing this? Like, you're to the right of Marky. And I think it was just like, why didn't they just understand that he's that Joe Kennedy was younger and Ed Markey. Isn't that enough? Yeah. Is that enough for you people? Yeah. And, and as we've gone over, you know, they believe all the same stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just zero policy difference between the two of them. I don't, yeah. I don't understand why people didn't get why it was important for him. And uh, that was really frustrating. We didn't get that message across to people. Well, I think also, I, I, I don't understand why this didn't work, but I think paying um, those resistance like bot accounts that follow 40,000 people and are followed by like 10,000 to tweet. Yeah, I love uh, those. Low key, Joe Kennedy, Marxist AF, um, repeatedly. Yeah. I, I really thought that would ma- help us make inroads with uh, leftist Twitter. And I just don't, I don't know if that really paid off. No, in fact, it was the opposite. Uh, I noticed it was very disappointing. Those very mean uh, Marky Marauders online. Mm-hmm just ruthless uh going yeah. after kennedy just because of his family you know and i feel yeah. like that's kind of out of bounds you know we can you talk about policy differences we can talk about uh you know what sets these two candidates apart but the way they just they would go after his family name like that really disrespectful i thought and uh very yeah. unfortunate stuff that marky didn't condemn it why didn't he condemn that 
Right. Disgusting. You should have. I think I think the most important thing you could be doing if you're running for the U.S. Senate is to respond to every anonymous person's tweet on Twitter who yeah. even tangentially mentions your election or your race. That's just – come on. That's just the unspoken rule of campaigning. But like on the family part – that is so out of bounds. That is only okay if we do that for the Trumps, the Bushes, the Cheneys, the Giulianis, uh, anybody else on the right. It's only okay when you talk about family uh, members uh, when it's involving people on the right. You can't do that to us. Yeah, I agree. And hey, on that note, did you catch Donald Trump Jr. who's on that uh, created a video on that TikTok rival, a Triller? Oh my God! He looked like idiot. looked like shit. Yeah, fucking moron. Yeah, cokehead much, Don Jr.? Uh, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> went there. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> In case the lawyers come after us for that one. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome, everyone. It's The Insurgents, episode 38, and Rob Rousseau here. What's up? Along with Jordan Yule. Uh, not much. Um, <laughs> how are you doing, man? I actually, I gotta say, um, you know, the last couple times I've checked in with you on this show, hasn't you haven't sounded too great. <laughs> actually, my my partner was listening to the last episode, and she was like, should we check on Jordan? Like, do you need like a, a care package or something? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. She's worried about uh, you. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> no, that yeah, this is yeah, sure. I'm just kind of like finding things to keep myself occupied. Which this weekend, this weekend, uh, man. If you said you're building a gaming PC or you're going to rebuild a PC that would yes. enable you to game, um, did I? My buddies and I found a game this weekend that you got to get. And people listening, I would highly recommend it. It's twenty bucks on Steam. It's called The Forest. And it is a survival horror game. And friend of the show uh, uh, and, and Twitch personality, uh, Bad Bunny was the one who told us about it. Um, it is a survival game where you are deserted on an island. You're on a deserted island. You're playing crashes and you have to f- just find everything to survive. And you build uh, structures and tools and you find food and find water. And there's like cannibals, like kind of zombie cannibal type things on the island. And I won't go too much into the plot. <laughs> but we uh, put like 30 hours into this game <laughs> over the past few days. And holy shit, is it fun. Um, it's it's expansive. It's free roaming, like an open world uh, game. It's really, really fun. I, I That was kind of like how I'm keeping my sanity. Okay, that sounds cool. Generally, yeah. when I'm familiar with Bad Bunny, and generally when she does recommend stuff, I kind of ignore that because, you know, kind of... You know, yeah, not, she's kind of a loose cannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally tend to avoid that kind of stuff, but that does sound kind of fun. Um, it's a great we, game. Go cool. Well, maybe when I have my my gaming PC built, um, maybe I can I can pick that up as well. I'm pretty excited about this. I'm getting back into the game, into the the streaming yeah. game. He's picking it back up. Literally, almost. yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty exciting. Uh, okay, so we've got our friend uh, Owen Higgins coming on the show. He's been doing a lot of great. Reporting for The Intercept lately, uh, focusing a lot on the the Alex Morse race that we touched on a couple times over the last couple of weeks. He had a kind of a post-mortem of that campaign uh, up on The Intercept right now. Um, so he's, he's done a lot of great reporting on it. Uh, so we were able to talk to him about that race and also the, the Marquis Kennedy 
race that we were joking about and sort of the election, Biden and all that stuff. Uh, it was a very great talk with Owen. He's going to be coming on the show in just uh, just a few minutes. Um, before Owen comes on, Jordan, I had I actually had a question for you. I had some stuff that that happened with with Biden and the Democratic campaign that happened over the last couple of days that I got to admit I was a little bit confused by. Um, you know, sometimes it, it's easy for me to grasp, you know, big picture American politics stuff about the presidential election, stuff like that. Sometimes when it gets into like more insular state politics, that's when I start getting a little bit lost, uh, get a little confused. So I did have a question for you about something that happened with the Biden campaign that I'm kind of having a hard time wrapping my head around. Do you think you can help me out with, uh, with explaining this to me? Cause I know you're, you're way more versed in this stuff. uh, Sure. I I would be happy to help. Cool. Okay. So here's what I'm wondering. okay? Okay. Um, so in order for Joe Biden to win the 2020 election, one of the states that he absolutely must win uh if i'm understanding this correctly is michigan is that Mm -hmm. is that correct that is correct yes okay so in theory uh that means i mean it's fairly uncomplicated that joe biden needs to turn out a lot of a lot more democrats in michigan uh than Mm -hmm. than the numbers that that clinton turned out in 2016 right that is correct and i would point out to you uh, that, you know, a large portion of those voters might come from areas like Detroit and Flint. Yes. Okay. I've, I'm pretty sure I'm, we're on the same page here. So mm-hmm. here's the thing I was kind of confused about. Because um, th- this weekend, Biden was endorsed by a Republican, Rick Snyder. the I believe the former governor of Michigan. Is that? Yeah, former Michigan governor. That's That's he, correct, right? That is correct, yes. Okay. Here's where I feel like there's some kind of a disconnect that I'm not really getting. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know one thing I hear a lot from, you know, know, liberals and and Democrats that talk about politics. And they they talk a lot about Flint, Michigan, and the Mm -hmm. the fact that there's still not clean water in Flint, Michigan. I hear this from Democrats a lot as kind of an example of how, uh, you know, Republican um, leadership can lead to these really terrible situations, right? I mean, that I'm not making that up, am I? Yeah, yeah, you're you're on track. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's here's putting all these things together. So you have Rick Snyder, former governor of Michigan, who you might say played a large role in literally poisoning the residents of uh, of Flint, Michigan, uh, right? <laughs> Through his sort of ineptitude. Uh, his sort of uh, doing, putting profit before the lives of the people that lived in Michigan, right? Uh, right many yep. for many people, a symbol of 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 someone who's like you know really made made life for for people, especially like people lower on the economic spectrum in Michigan, has made their lives much more difficult. Mm-hmm. And so, can you just what is the disconnect here? I feel like I'm missing something because I'm oh. I'm trying to understand why. Because not only did he endorse Biden, but Biden, uh, you know, they they put out a press release and kind of talking about how great it was that that Snyder endorsed Biden. And I feel like there's just something I'm not I'm not totally grasping here about what the strategy is. Because this to me this seems like this seems like something that might be actually upsetting to many Democrats in Michigan who, as I pointed out a few minutes ago. Joe Biden does need in order to win 
the election. So what am I not getting here? I feel like there's something I'm not understanding about what's going on. Rob, I here. think the the thing you're missing is his name uh, isn't Joe Rogan and he doesn't host a podcast, <laughs> uh, which is much more dangerous yeah. uh, than than ever, uh, you know, anything you could do uh, as governor of a state, uh, especially when you you for a cost-cutting measure poison an entire city. Um so yeah, this is <laughs> this is, you know, Clearly for the, oh, he's winning the Reagan Democrats or the, you know, the, the, the Midwestern Republicans, you know, Reagan Democrats being like people who voted for Reagan then back to eventually back to Obama. Um, but yeah, the optics here are that, yeah, here's, here's a guy who, who poisoned people as governor and, you know, de denied it, demurred, said it was, it was fine. Um, the EPA didn't act fast enough and all these people and now kids are dealing with lifelong health consequences as a result. He's being championed by the Biden campaign um, to, uh, you know, as, as as someone who sees sees through Trump's um, bullshit and is, is trying to bring an end to the Trump administration. I don't know how that's going to I can't imagine that would play well in, 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 in that community in Detroit and Flint. Um, <laughs> I don't it seems to me that no, it would not play well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a joke at first because it's just like this is this is a very serious thing. And people like are dealing. Yeah, like I said, like permanent damage because that water was so toxic uh, or it wasn't safe to drink. And they just fucking they just switched the pipes. And that was their that was their tap water. What the f what the fuck were they thinking when they decided to lift this up? And this is like it, it, it's kind of tired and like, oh, the Bud Joe Rogan thing. But seriously. Yeah. This is way more dangerous than anything Joe Rogan has ever fucking done or said. And this, again, the same thing. I go back to when Kasich was asked to speak at the DNC. And it just shows how this these fucking hollow performative outrage cycles in the primary to railroads uh, Bernie. It just shows how, how just fucking vapid and transparent they were. Because it was never about substance. It was never about uh, what Joe Rogan said about trans athletes. It was never really about that. It was because they knew this would be an effective cudgel. And that's why they didn't have a problem with John fucking Kasich speaking at the DNC when his state was the one that took marriage equality to the fucking Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's just, uh, it, it's in keeping with a lot of the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks with the Biden campaign. It's, it's fucking bizarre to see it play out especially the way that the people of flint have been used as kind of a political football or just kind of a meme in democratic politics as a way to like oh look how terrible republicans are you look at the people of flint they still don't have clean water mm -hmm. um and then for them to like take the guy that like deliberately perpetrated that whole what many would consider as a actual crime with like profound health consequences for thousands of people especially ch including children uh, and then turn that into his like as part of his campaign of how how he appeals to moderates, and they're so they're so obsessed with chasing these these elusive moderates that we're always told are they exist in this huge constituency that's going to bring the bring home the election for for Joe Biden, uh, and they don't seem to mind that they're alienating so many people that could be getting excited about this campaign possibly if they just did something if they just did some kind of outreach you know we talked about the ways for young people how they how there's so many different uh uh issues that are so vital to young people in the united states that if they just embraced one it would probably be enough to to rally a whole lot of support uh ed markey is a great example we get into this later with uh with owen higgins but 
it's a great example of a, of a, a lifelong kind of moderate who, who embraced a very popular progressive policy and signaled to people that he was going to fight for it. It wasn't just going to be uh, nice words. And lo and behold, a lot of people got very excited about that, including young people. And it's, it's amazing to me that even though they know that they could do this, they're so obsessed with chasing this kind of like middle of the road conservative that they don't care how many people they're going to alienate in the process that could be like they could be bringing into their coalition, uh, especially in a state like Michigan, which, again, they desperately need in order to win the election. Um, it's ludicrous. <laughs> it really is stunning to, to watch them watch them do this. Yeah, I, it, I don't know. I had it when you were kind of building up to this, I thought like. <laughs> The way the as the rate things are going, and we could we might if we want to fit this in, we talked about this earlier. Like just some of the hollow uh, identity based um, arguments that we're seeing trotted out in support of the Biden campaign, specifically on like the role of lobbyists and, and corporate figures in his ca- potential cabinet. I was just thinking like we're on track for like Rick Snyder just to tweet out with the clapping hands like Flint doesn't have clean water <laughs> like within the next two months. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. Well, uh, I think that, you know, we can put a pin in this for now, but the important thing to remember that if, uh, if Biden does not manage to uh, flip these states back to, uh, back to his uh, coalition and win the election, of course, it won't be their own fault. It won't be their fault for, you know, pursuing this fucking bizarre and terrible, ludicrous strategy and intentionally alienating uh, millions of progressive people and poor people and young people, but it will be you know the 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 people that listen to this show that are annoyed at the at the campaign. It's going to be Bernie Sanders' fault for, even though he you know flipped immediately and endorsed Biden and did everything they asked. It's going to be his fault for you know not controlling his supporters more. Uh, it's going to be Black Lives Matter's fault for you know rioting and 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 creating these these uh these situations for the the small the small minor fact that that police are just continuing to uh brutally murder people uh especially people of color throughout the country uh these are going to be all the things that people are going to blame in the democratic party establishment it's uh it's the kind of thing that you can see the conversations happen before they start and i know how disingenuous it's going to be and how frustrating it's going to be but uh it really you know they will have no one to blame but to themselves for pursuing this this fucking terrible strategy. Um, oh, but sorry. I, one last thing. So in his yeah, in his op-ed explaining why he was endorsing Biden, he ends on this note. In addition, President Trump lacks a moral compass. He ignores the truth. <laughs> Facts. And science matter. Good decisions should be based on facts and supported by sound scientific theory whenever possible. President Trump has also demonstrated Uh. that he does not fully appreciate public policy matters, including public health, the economy and foreign (laughs) relations, nor does he seem to want to learn. That's are you making this up? I swear to God, <laughs> dude. I swear to God verbatim from the op-ed. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh boy. Okay. Well, that's uh <laughs> that's the good old Joe Biden campaign strategy. Um just continues to be extremely painful to see them do this uh, week in week out covering this. Very depressing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
But uh, you know, let's let's bring on Owen Higgins now. Yeah. Uh, I'm very tired. I didn't sleep very much last night. We had a great conversation. No feedback corner this week. We're gonna we'll come back to that uh, next time, and read some of the wonderful reviews we get for this show from our, our listeners who I I love and respect. But um, let's uh, let's put a pin in this talk for now. We'll bring on Owen Higgins, uh, and he's gonna be joining the show right after this. Owen Higgins. Owen, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. How's Thank it going? Thank you guys for having me. Owen, there's plenty of uh, of news we can get into. I want to talk about the reporting you've been doing at The Intercept lately. Lots of stuff to talk about today. But first, can you let us know, have you been doing any gaming lately? What's your gaming situation going <laughs> on right now? I am not a gamer. Uh, okay. Oh, Show's over. Thanks for coming, man. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, anyway, yep. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, appreciate it. Um, I have been, uh, I have been playing this kind of this game called Diplomacy, which is that counts. Oh yeah, that's a, yeah. that's yeah, absolutely. So I've been playing a lot of that. Um, How many know, friendships some... have ended as a result? Yeah, because I've heard I've heard of about this game. I've never played it, but I've heard it's like the game that tests your like. The test the boundaries of you, the relationships you have with your your so called friends and family. Has that been any well, of most, that stuff going most on? of the people? Yeah, most of the people that I'm playing with, I didn't. Most of them I didn't really know uh, before this. So friendships have developed, but they've obviously developed in the context of this yes. like game of endless backstabbing and paranoia. And so, um, <laughs> I, I you know I don't really know what that really says about you know those friendships, but. Yeah, um, I, I've definitely I, I've definitely been enraged and 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 enraged people, and it's been a lot of fun. It's 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 definitely like the exact kind of game that I enjoy. Cool. I hope to have friends one day so I can play it. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> so, um, so Owen, you've been doing a lot of reporting lately with the Intercept, especially regarding this this Alex Morse race. Um, which became kind of like a national, almost like an international story because of how, uh, how fucked up the behind the scenes machinations were, um, as part of this race. How did you get involved in covering this story? Yeah. Uh, well, Daniel Bogusla, who is one of the reporters that I worked on with this, uh, reached out to me. So the allegations, just a, a brief rundown of what happened. So these allegations were published by the UMass Daily Collegian coming from the College Democrats in Massachusetts, specifically um, from members of the group in uh, at UMass, where where um, Morse was adjunct lecturing, and they said that he had made them feel uncomfortable and that he was no longer welcome at um, UMass College Democrat events. And this letter was, and this is from reporting that we did later, we, no, you know, we didn't know this at the time, but the letter was originally sent privately to Morse on Thursday, August 6th. Um, and he was asked to provide a private and personal response. He did uh, in advance of, a, of, of what he expected to be a longer one later. Um, but then the next day, it was somehow by somebody, it was leaked to 
the Daily Collegian, which is the UMass Daily Paper, and they published it along with, you know, his brief statement that obviously they had already worked on. Um, and it looked like it was going to pretty much, uh, you know, scuttle his campaign. We didn't really know. The allegations were like super vague, um, but they were certainly sufficient enough that they were causing a lot of, you know, reaction on social media and online. So that was Friday the 7th. Fast forward to Tuesday the 11th. Uh, I talked to Daniel on the phone. He told me that he had found uh, some evidence that college Democrats that were involved with this had some ties to the Neil campaign and also that they may have been helped by this lawyer called Jim Roosevelt with, with ties to the state party. Um, and I found that the, the latter one really, really interesting. And so I didn't get involved with the reporting on the students, but I did get involved with the reporting on Roosevelt uh, and his involvement. And uh, in the course of doing that reporting over the next couple days, I was kind of doing it on and off. I wasn't like super covering it, uh, but I was, I was looking at it. And then I had this breakthrough where I got proof that um, not only was Roosevelt involved, but he got involved at the behest of the state party's leadership, who are supposed to remain neutral in any contest, any, any contested primary. Uh, so that was kind of when I got into it. At this point, Daniel and Ryan Grimm had already published two stories kind of going into the connections between the Neil campaign and these college Democrats. Uh, but, but my role in it was to more write about the Massachusetts Democrats' uh, involvement in it, which was uh, is still having ramifications. Right now, they're doing a an investigation. Oh, but yeah, so one of the reasons that the story had, had a lot of impact was that the Massachusetts Democrats, their response to it was for uh, Chair Gus Bickford to say, we're going to have an investigation into their conduct. And like the next day, we were like, yeah, that's funny, uh, Gus, because you were one of the people who recommended that they talk to this lawyer. So why are you going to uh, be part of this investigation if, if if you're one of the people who was involved with it? So now they're going to have an, invest- an internal investigation uh, led by a former state senator who has some questionable loyalties, like she used to be an adjunct at UMass herself, and she has ties to the state party. A lot of progressives in Massachusetts that I've talked to, a lot of people involved with the Progressive Coalition and the uh, the state party are really angry right now and are and and expect uh, expected better and well. I actually that I don't know about that. I don't know if they expected better, but they wanted better. And because it's weird because what you're describing to me, it sounds like at least some people in the sort of Massachusetts uh, Democratic Party establishment, seems like they're kind of breaking their own rules when it comes to income protecting incumbents and primaries and stuff like that. That's kind of weird because they always say that they're, you know, they're neutral when it comes to these things. So that's very surprising that they would. Get involved yeah. like that. I yeah, say. It's, it's really shocking, really shocking, <laughs> and especially that they would become involved against the progressive. Really, yeah, just that's not what you would expect. Even uh, extra you know, coinc- level of coincidence you know, onto that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, state parties because I I found this out as I was reporting on this. Like, state parties in different states have different rules. You know, and Massachusetts happens to be one of the ones where they're supposed to remain neutral. They they don't have to remain neutral. Um, in every state, and and of course, because it is you know technically a private entity, it can have whatever rules it wants. Uh, but the fact is that they are supposed to remain neutral, and they didn't. And there's really no way to get around that. 
you know, like there's no way to look at what happened uh, and and think that, you know, what they did was uh, in any way along their own rules. And if it wasn't in any way along their own rules, uh, ultimately, any investigation is really going to have to find that out or or deal with it somehow. And yeah, I, I just I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't live in Massachusetts anymore, but I grew up there. I I don't really expect any accountability here. Uh, I you know I grew up in the first district in in Neil's district, and although it wasn't his district until 2012, but it, it, I just don't really expect any accountability here at all. Ultimately, do you think we can like take a step back here because you're getting into the details of how you got the the how you got involved with this story and the sort of the behind the scenes of some of the conversations that were happening. But uh, in case anyone listening is not fully like clued into what was going on in this race, can we just do, can we just have a little overview of, of the broad strokes of what happened here um, in terms of what, you know, what Morse was ac- accused of as part of this, this smear campaign um, running against uh, Richard Neal, who I understand is a pretty powerful a Democrat in the House of Representatives. I, I know we've been talking about this lately, but you know this is for the for the, the few people that have not been completely like uh, g- that aren't totally uh, glued to Twitter at all times to to understand the minutia of all these things. Do can we just have like a broad explanation of yeah what these accusations were and, yeah, and what happened with this so story? The the Massachusetts sure the Massachusetts first district up until 2012 uh, was a much more left-leaning district than it is now, although it's still very left-leaning, because it was the super rural Berkshire County where I'm from and parts of Franklin and Hamden County. Um, And it was represented by a guy named John Oliver, who was against the Iraq War and and had a lot of uh, good progressive politics. In 2012, after the census in 2010, they redrew the districts and they had to combine... Uh, they had to cut one district out because of depopulation on the western end of the state. And so what they did was they recombined it into the second district, which was represented by Neil, who was a more uh, conservative Democrat whose power base was basically uh, Springfield, the city that he was the mayor of in the 1980s. One of our stories, Daniel goes into super detail about this stuff. It's really, really interesting. Um, and I'll, I'll reference that later. Um, but it was redrawn to incorporate most of Neil's power centers so that Neil could basically get the votes of the district. In the process, it ended up screwing over people in the Berkshires and other hill towns who were much more progressive than Neil. But that now, but you know, Oliver retired so that he wouldn't have to go up against Neil. Neil went up against a couple of Berkshire people and absolutely smoked them. That's 2012. Why am I saying this? Because then in 2018, he's challenged by Tahira Wadu. Now, these are the first two challenges so far that I'm talking about here that Neil has ever had in his career that were even slightly viable. And he still annihilated them each by by 30 to 40 points, you know, like it's like 30 to 70 or something, something to that general in that general range. Then in 2020, Holyoke Moore, Mayor Alex Morris, 31 year old, uh, about to be term limited out from being the mayor of Holyoke. Uh, joins the race in 2019 to challenge Neil in 2020. Now, the fact that Neil had already been challenged twice, and that even though these challengers didn't have a lot of institutional or establishment or any kind of real backing or funding, were still able to get 30 plus percent of the vote, indicates that Neil, that there was some dissatisfaction with Neil. Morse 
ran a progressive campaign uh, coming at Neil from his left on a number of issues, including uh, the Green New Deal, Neil's closeness to corporate interests and the healthcare industry, uh, and and other policy differences that the two men had. About around, I think it was like mid to late July, Morse had was only about 10 points behind. That's within striking distance, and it is similar to the polling differences between Cory Bush and Lacey Clay this year and AOC and Crowley in 2018 when they were able to come from behind grassroots attack and basically unseat a powerful incumbent. Right, so that is basically the setup here. You know, like, like if this was an issues campaign, uh, it looked like Morse was within striking distance. Then... On August 7th, this letter is released. The letter said that Morse, who had been an adjunct lecturer or instructor of some kind at UMass um, every semester, every other semester for like one course, uh, it, it heavily implied that he had used that position to pressure students, possibly his own, uh, into sex or to go on dates with him. Uh, obviously, didn't say that. Because the letter was very careful to just imply that and to let the reader draw their own conclusions. Uh, and that, you know, that's because obviously, as I said before, it had been uh, produced with the help of a lawyer so that there would be no defamation. Now, once this letter came out, uh, there was a lot of reaction from around the progressive world, a lot of it negative towards Morse. Uh, a, a few groups suspended their endorsements of him, uh, you know, kind of pending an investigation, as it were. Uh, and so this dropping on Friday on the set meant that like there was an entire weekend of negative national and local coverage of this story, uh, which started to, as we found out later, affect Morse's uh, neg- negative numbers within the district. Um, because a lot of people, Daniel Morantz has a good story about this at HuffPost. Um, where he talks about how he, 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 he quotes people within the district saying that they didn't really understand like what the story was, but that it was bad. And local media, as, as I reported for The Intercept, like did a terrible job of contextualizing any of this. Not to mention, it did not, they didn't cover our reporting that, that, that showed this conspiracy between the Massachusetts Democrats. So anyway, this story comes out on the 7th. 8th, 9th, that's Saturday, Sunday, 10th, this this uh, scandal is ongoing. Uh, Morris is losing volunteers. He's losing supporters. Uh, he's losing big national groups. Then on Tuesday, the 11th in the afternoon, the evening, Daniel and Ryan released their first story, kind of casting doubt on the motivations of the students. Uh, some of them had taken classes with Neil, who had also uh, been an adjunct in the same way uh, that Morse had. And uh, had were quoted by people who had talked to them, uh, you know, about their admiration for Neil. These two students, Timothy Ennis and Andrew Abramson, were involved to varying degrees with the composition of the letter and uh, and its details. I don't want to say it's released because we really don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think. There was a, a big fuss around the the role of the college Democrats at, at that at Amherst, and 
<laughs> I mean, my, my favorite thing was the title, the uh, chief strategist of the college Democrats and how they allegedly wanted to get internships. And that's, that's like funny, but like, I think what's really insidious is that the, the state party was really pushing this. And also the Massachusetts media who just, you know, failed on this story. Um, but there was a lot of argument about whether or not, as the results came in, so obviously Morse lost, it, it, but there was like a, there was a bunch of um, you know opining and people weighing in saying like oh well I guess Massachusetts voters just recognize that you know unseating the chair of the Ways and Means Committee would be bad for their district and that's not necessarily true because whatever pork he brings home is going to be outweighed by all of his like blockading uh, of progressive policy reforms I mean anything that we want to do has to go through him like Green New Deal Medicare for all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but is Alex and, Morse going to get Donald Trump's tax returns, Jordan? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> right. It does a thing. Neil could have done that already. And that Pelosi know. rolled that that's out. It's going to be on the agenda. first right. thing. They're going to get right thing. to that very soon. Yeah. So, here's the thing. Even on that, their end result, what's it going to be? Mr. Trump, you're not even a real billionaire. It's not going to be like, <laughs> like crimes, like line items for crimes. It's going to be that he doesn't have as much money as he as he says he does, which is something that literally every American can relate to. Like, that's, I, 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 they yeah. are so fucking inept on this front and tone deaf. But, uh, Owen, what, what do you think about this notion that it was really about wanting to protect their powerful congressman? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I got some thoughts about that. <laughs> um, and those thoughts come from the fact that I'm actually from there. So I actually know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. unlike these other people, even including some people who I tend to not dislike. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe uh, they should take the fact that they are a sports writer from Boston who now is an Esquire columnist <laughs> and not a Western Massachusetts native and maybe listen to me huh. once in a while before running their mouth um, <laughs> okay charles pierce and that's one of the ones that i like him. uh but you know like come on uh i saw him saying that and i got really that's irritated. exactly what and i was the thinking reason is, yeah and the reason is this and we're talking about charlie pierce of course who again i like charlie um I, I i don't agree with a lot of his politics uh but i do tend to think his heart's in the right place in this case um he's just wrong and the reason is this you know it, it, it just betrays like a fundamental misunderstanding of what the first district and what Western Massachusetts is uh, as far as its political and economic makeup. And then what that is, is that it's a pretty stratified area with a lot of income inequality. And a lot of that is because people from New York City mostly have second homes in the Berkshires and the Hilltowns and have brought with them a lot of money and have... Um, kept the economy there going but and, and with that they've also brought uh pretty left-wing politics although i will say that there's been like a very strong left-wing hippie back to the land thing going on there for like 50 60 years you know so that's like the way it's been for a really long time this is where i'm from right i'm not talking about springfield we'll get to springfield in a second but the idea that those voters in and, and oh, yes. Yeah, so, but then there's and then there's like the people who have lived there for a long time who all serve as economy workers and all extremely working class, but also are very left wing. And the idea that those voters were like, ah, Richie Neal, man, the guy who brings the pork home and the Ways and Means chair. 
Can't get rid of that guy. I mean, first of all, like, there's no port that's ever brought home. Like, the internet is basically dial-up internet. People in Western Massachusetts cannot watch, and this is a minor thing, but it's, it is kind of a big deal there. They can't even watch Patriots games or get Massachusetts news because the uh, FCC has set up the, the cable lines so that, that Western Massachusetts is in Albany's um, television district, which means that they only get New York sports and New York news. And this is important because not so much because it's uh, annoying for these Massachusetts fans to not see their Massachusetts teams. I'm not a fan of Massachusetts teams, so I don't really care. But it, it, it's because it just shows like the neglect and total lack of care that Neil has for the district entirely. Um, he could easily have done something about this. Markey has tried. Uh, Neil has made noise like he's tried, but he hasn't. This would this would be a very, very simple thing for them to do. They could just put some pressure on the FCC. They have refused to do it every single time. Um, East-West Rail. There's supposed to be rail going from Boston to Pittsfield, which is uh, the largest city in the Berkshires, uh, which would obviously service Springfield and all the hill towns. That's never happened. Why hasn't that happened? Uh, I don't know, but Richie Neal has never made that a priority, getting funding for that. People were actually acting like the East-West Rail was a, was, a, was a reason that voters in Western Massachusetts were going to keep Neal in, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard because that's what people complain about, that he's never done anything for anybody. People's internet is basically at dial-up speeds, as I said before. I mean, like, um, I think I, I got to look here real quick, uh, but... Just for this quote, I think it's from anyway. I can't find out who's who's from, but somebody I was talking to, uh, progressive activists in Western Massachusetts, made a really good point, which was that like, you know, you're telling me that Neil is one of the most powerful Democrats in Washington. Yes, he definitely is. Uh, but if you look around the district, it definitely doesn't look like our representative is a powerful person at all, or anybody who particularly cares about us. And I think that that's completely accurate. Um, you know, Neil's just total disregard for the district has has been constant. And the fact that people like Pierce are suggesting, coming from Boston, are suggesting that, like, first of all, the condescending... I'm sorry, I find this really irritating. <laughs> the condescending... Go off. ...notion that people in Western Mass are a bunch of white working-class hicks who have no understanding of broader politics other than Oh, my guy's big in Washington. Got to send him back. Is so out of it's. It's just completely out of reality. Mm-hmm. So, having said all that, that's just me basically bitching about like where I'm from. If you actually look at the numbers coming from Holyoke and Springfield, and Holyoke especially, Morse won the working class districts in that city. But the reason that people like Charlie aren't talking about it is because the working class districts in those city. In, 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 in Holyoke, anyway, are not white. Mm. And those people, people of color, who are the actual working class in the district, they did not vote for Neil. They voted for Morris. So why is that not part of the factor? Well, it's not part of the factor because it doesn't fit in with, with their general idea of, like, white working class people are, are more conservative and that's who the voters are in the first district. And, like, it, it's just, it pisses me off for a lot of reasons 
and and one of the main ones that's just completely not connected to reality. And if you look at the way that the vote totals uh, split down, it just just doesn't show that. I will say that like Morris got annihilated uh, in the Berkshires uh, relatively. Uh, he did he did better than Tahira did, and he did better than uh, Bill and Andrea did uh, in 2018 and 2012 respectively. But he he still got beat pretty badly in the Berkshires. Uh, and I thought that he would do a lot better. The towns that he did win, though, are the working class towns of uh, the Southern Berkshire, uh, New Barbaro, I think, I think Otis and Sandusfield, Sheffield, and I believe Ashley Falls. These are all like little towns that you guys would know, but they're, they are working class towns. And he won those. And, and he, and he was very close in the rest of the, of, of, of the Berkshires. It was, it was just, Neil just took it because he won Springfield, and Springfield has, um, it's like 100,000 people or something like that. I mean, that's like as many people as are in the entire Berkshire County, which is geographically most of the size of the district. So that's why he won. Uh, people that say it's because working rural white working class voters wanted to keep the Ways and Means chair in because they understood that that would mean more pork for their district are talking out of their ass. That's that's my and that's my take. Yeah, yeah. The uh, what was the other thing that you were asking other than that? I mean, Sorry, that's I like the, that's the big there. that's the big thing. I mean, it's just it's. I agree that people don't really talk about the working class in accurate terms. I think so much of it is just people being completely untethered from those communities um, and just relying on mainstream media or like fictional entertainment for their understandings that relies on kind of stereotypes and, you know, just common narratives and not any real enterprise reporting. We see these like random dispatches where a reporter from the New York times goes spelunking in some rust belt town and comes back talking only to white people. And somehow half of them are, you know, Trump supporters who, you know, like uh, were lifelong Democrats until then. Uh, but this, there's never any real material understand or substantive understanding uh, or reporting on these issues, and I think it speaks to and that this 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 kind of view was largely is seen as being um, a coastal elite one that is projected onto regions in the Midwest. But as you're saying, it, it even applies to different neighborhoods and subsets within these districts, um, and this pretense that coastal Democrats and elites and elite Democrats have. Uh, obfuscates their analysis like the like the charlie stuff that you were talking about how he doesn't want to acknowledge that the working the black working class in that district voted for for morse and i think that we need to get better collectively um at understanding the complexities and the nuances within the working class in america as it continues uh to struggle and and even shrink as people fall below the poverty line because wages have been stagnant for so long and i think they ultimately i agree i think they ultimately saw through this whole, um, oh, he's the powerful ways and means chair bullshit. Because what's he really doing for them? Um, and it's just it's not, really you, frustrating. I, you know, I, I, would, I would also say this, like what, what, what I also find like totally confounding about it is that like uh, all of these, like, well, not all, but like most of these people who are saying this, like have been to the area. Like they know that it's all like, I mean, like I'm talking like, pretty much all Western Mass is like this. Like, it's, it's concentrated in different parts, but it's mostly, like, colleges, theaters, restaurants, and other uh, arts, entertainment, and, and tourist attractions. 
for rich people from Boston and New York. So, like, how how can you, like, go there and then be like, oh, yeah, this is just, like, the rural rural working class. It's like, like, you know that it's not like that. So why are you even saying that? You're just making this generalization because you look at the district and and you hear rural uh, and and spread out and, and you just automatically think that. It's just, like, doesn't make any sense to me. Like, Springfield is, like, a big city for New England. And, you know, it has, like, a huge casino there. It's fallen on some rough times, but, like, it, it's it's on the way back up. Like, it has a pretty big economy. The, I mean, it, it just it, it just doesn't make any sense to me that you would, like, look at it and be like, oh, that, like, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to look at this and say, ah, this is just, like, uh, rural Wyoming or something like that. It's, like, not, it, it's just not the same state. So why are you treating it the same way? It's, like, this weird, like, uh, I don't know, like, like going on rustic safari or something. I don't, I don't really know, but it, it's it's just it's just frustrating because, especially because, like, I know that they know. Yeah, well, that that's not. It's true. just that. So, like, what are you? Talking? They think because people are working class, they're stupid. They think they just they think that yeah. people who might be poor or middle class or lower middle class, they conflate that with a lack of intelligence, and it's not. It's just that there's no real. Uh, substantive worker protections for a lot of these people um, because of right to work bullshit. Uh, wages are stagnant. Benefits suck, and it's in large part because of people like Richie Neal. Uh, so it just it just this is becoming a common mindset and and attitude in the Democratic Party where it's oh people who who think this way in the working class or people who are in, just in the working class they're just stupid and they don't know what's best for them. That's that, that, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that Alex kind of ran up against, I think, is that it's it's not that Richie was the Ways and Means chair. It's that he was the incumbent. And he had Springfield locked down. And in order to win, Alex needed to make it close uh, in Springfield and take Holyoke. And, and and just stomp him in the Berkshires. And, and that didn't happen. And I think that it didn't happen for a number of reasons. Um, but it one of those reasons I really don't think was that like a bunch of people in the working class were like, ah, yeah, you know, I could we we could have this one guy, but let's go with this other guy because he's the house chair of the Ways and Means. Like, no, like they went with him because he's the incumbent and he has an incredibly powerful political operation within the area and and that's just i mean that's what it is there's always this impulse i i know that we've been talking about this for a while but like but there's always this impulse i think from uh pundits and observers to try and make this stuff like more complicated than it is when it's really simple like it, it was it was an uphill battle to take down an incumbent it's an uphill battle to take down an incumbent period one with a political operation as concentrated and powerful as Neil's even more, and then combine that with uh, a, 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 a rat fucking designed specifically to take away the enthusiasm and the support of Morse's base of supporters, primarily young people and, 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 and people on the more progressive end, even, even though that only lasted for about a week, really, until things started to turn around, largely on the strength of our reporting, it, it didn't matter. I mean, that week was was absolutely essential, and and they took it away. 
this is the kind of story that you know when it comes to talking about american politics sometimes i find myself asking like why am i why do i care about this why am i talking about this uh, you know, with the presidential election, it's easy to make that case because that affects the whoever's the president of the United States. That affects everyone. It affects Canada. It affects the, the rest of the world uh, on a number of different fronts. Um, but I think the thing about this story that I think is interesting, no matter where you are, um, where you live, like where, wherever you're paying attention to it, is because this is kind of the new playbook that's that's emerged from the sort of establishment politicians. And we're seeing this all over the place, which is that. Um, to fend off these more progressive challengers um, instead of making a policy case for like why these these progressive goals are are harmful or wrong um, instead this is the playbook now is to use this kind of woke language or this kind of like uh, smear campaign kind of from the left positioning these these establishment candidates as being you know the real progressives and the real liberals and you know, we saw it, obviously, in the Democratic primary, uh, both of them in the 2016 and 2020 with Bernie Sanders um, talking about how it's just a movement for white bros or whatever. It's, it's just bros that want to harass women. Uh, you saw it with Jeremy Corbyn in the UK. And this was another situation like this where you had a young uh, progressive candidate who also, as a gay man, he kind of he, he kind of checked that identity politics box that a lot of liberals kind of claim to really care about. Um, but instead of like having some kind of debate about the actual issues that are at stake and like what, who wants to do what, and, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of like one candidate stands for the bold social program and, and in the other candidate doesn't instead, this campaign has to be wrapped around in this woke language about, you know, uh, age gaps in relationships and this very kind of sketchy uh, smear campaign. And it, and it got so preposterous, like as the story kept getting debunked, how they kept trying to go to this. I saw it like in the last week, there was ads coming out just being like he he had relationships with with young men that were, you know, sometimes seven, eight years younger than him. It's like and it's just so grasping at straws. Uh, and that's why I think uh, it, it became a story that's that's interesting no matter where you are, because I really do think that liberals in establishment positions um, all over the world are kind of realizing that this is the playbook and that this is how they have to fend off progressive challengers is by concocting this kind of woke reason to do so instead of just coming out and admitting, no, I don't believe we should have universal health care. I don't think we should have a Green New Deal uh, because they're, they're, they're never able to kind of admit that they're um, you know, that they're not progressive and they don't believe in these big ideas. Uh, so they've got to use this kind of bullshit obfuscation. Uh, so I think the more everyone is aware of this kind of tactic, the easier it is, uh, whether you're running for something or whether you're supporting a candidate to just like shut down these attacks and, and, and move past it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a it's a difficult, it's like trying to thread the needle, right? Because like, like, yes, like that's all true, but you also don't want to be in the situation where the the attack is based on something real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's what makes these kind of so attacks even more disgusting because it makes it more difficult to confront these kind of situations when there's a real story there. Uh, it just makes it more difficult right, to, right. to to uh, to confront these kinds of stories. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 infuriating and it's, and it's frankly obscene. I mean, like, yeah, uh, it, it's 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 just it's just really gross. But you know, I think that this is going to be uh, this is going to be a big. Uh, problem going forward and i think that it's going to be a a tactic that's going to be used uh certainly by the establishment uh and and it's you know it's kind of interesting because it's like 
one of the reasons that they're able to use this attack so well, even when it's clearly based on uh, just it, clearly just a smear campaign, like we saw in this case, one of the reasons that is you know that they're able to use it is because they know that it'll work. But you you know it's hard to use it in the opposite direction because I'm sorry, but like establishment Democrats, right wing Democrats have made very clear that they don't care. They don't care if you say that about their own people. Like they'll find they'll find ways to like say that it doesn't matter. Or you know, I mean, obviously the current Democratic nominee has allegations that uh, you know yeah. whether or not they're they're based on in truth or anything. Like you know, there's certainly something to look at there. And the reaction to it has just simply been to just either dismiss it or say, well, you know. Um, Got to get the orange man out Trump's of there. Trump's works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Orange man, orange man has bad. to go. So, orange man bad doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and and same thing in 2016 with with Clinton when Trump brought uh, you know all all the women who who Clinton allegedly assaulted to that one debate and like you know the reaction was like like they were just like at first they were just like outraged that he would even do it and then they were like well you know what he's done so much worse that it doesn't matter and it's like nope. That's not it. Yeah. And neither is like like neither of those reactions are, are the right one. I don't you know, I don't know what the right one in that position would have been other than like maybe don't nominate somebody with that kind of attendant baggage with her spouse. Uh, I realize that might be unfair, but it is it's the way it is. Well, it was her um, turn. So, well, that's true. It was her. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, it's, it's just difficult to know, like how how this stuff all plays out and what levels of it uh, last. I mean, like I said, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, Massachusetts Democrats are are now going to have an investigation into themselves uh, by their allies into how they may have done something bad. Uh, I mean, that's going to be the extent of it. I doubt that they're going to find out that they did anything bad. Uh, they'll probably just say that they uh, acted without thinking or something. I mean, it's just not going, it's just not a really a serious, like, investigation of that's going to be like the extent of how they handle this then what's what's to stop an incumbent doing this again or anybody on the right doing uh, of the party doing this to somebody else on the left of the party i i don't see it i don't see that possibly happening um there, like there's been no accountability or consequences i should say by the way we found no evidence that neil was involved or that his campaign was involved nobody would say that on record or had evidence of it. So, uh, but obviously the people around him, uh, you know, at least within the college Democrats were, uh, open to it. I mean, I guess open to perpetuating it. That's common though. I think when you've got a political machine like that state party and, uh, just the, the democratic establishment apparatus in general, when you, when you want to protect a, been a powerful incumbent like that, you, he doesn't really need to say or do anything. It's like once they see that the challengers getting, momentum it's like okay what do we got like they yeah. you know they just they'll there's kind of the an unspoken rule yeah there. yeah they'll just they'll do it it's like when candidates signal uh like the the, the instance in um you know there's, there's just things like that like where they'll drop like campaigns will drop b-roll on on youtube just knowing that people go go there so they don't actually have to talk it's just when they see that it's out there in public that the the, the party the the packs the groups Everyone else will just spring into action. It's like muscle memory. They just know. Yeah, yeah, and and 
you know, another interesting wrinkle to this, actually, that I didn't mention before, which was the subject of the third piece uh, that I was involved in writing about this, um, which is the one that has has Daniel's exhaustive review of uh, Neil's time in, in office in in Springfield. Well, you know, I, uh, the stuff that we had in there that was about the scandal was that this stuff had been like shopped around to reporters and groups as early as like late April. So this had been in motion for a long time. Um, and obviously the timing of, of, of it to like totally screw his chances at winning the election, um, whether or not that was the thing that did or not is, you know, debatable, but like, but the fact that it was dropped then, uh, you know, can be directly tied to months and months of trying to get reporters and groups to like look into this and to, uh, discredit Morse without having the groups, the, the more Massachusetts institutional groups, uh, get involved. Neil himself, uh, did of course in debate say that they needed to, that the student victims of which, uh, there were never any identified or that there was questionable whether victim is even the right word, but he still said that in the debates. Uh, repeatedly so he he definitely was taking advantage of it and look honestly like it's politics um if he didn't take advantage of it that would be very dumb uh you know put put the sleaziness of it aside like that that would just be not very smart to not take advantage of it but um he definitely did help to perpetuate it and and i think that by referring to it um in debates and, and, and when he was asked about it in, in, in that kind of language, he was definitely uh, implying that he believed that there was at least something bad going on, if not worse than, uh, than already been reported. So should we, um, should we pivot to talking about the other big um, Massachusetts race from this week with uh, a <laughs> friend of the show, unfortunately, Joe Kennedy uh, coming up short. <laughs> Very disappointing. Yeah, yeah really. situation well, it was, it was there. A tough day all around. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> yeah. that was that was rough. I saw some, or uh, there was a, I can't remember which group or site, but it was like, um, Holyoke's uh, gay mayor and LGBT ally Joe Kennedy come up short in their races, and yep. it's just like really trying to stretch like any sort of any sort of like news hook for for kennedy in that in that community which i thought was very funny um yeah and there was that very funny politico piece i believe after this just of of the sort of strategist involved with the the kennedy campaign completely just learning the entirely wrong lessons about what just happened <laughs> and framing it as like oh young people were just they, they, they were uh, attracted to the shiny new object of a uh, ed markey <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, and, uh, uh, but now he's, his family know. is finally freed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that was my best really. My it's favorite. good that he lost. Yeah, yeah he, yeah. he wanted to actually. Yeah, you're lost, everybody. <laughs> the curse has been lifted. <laughs> finally, finally, the Kennedys can, uh, you know, go go do whatever. And go from they were gonna do. yeah, Martha's I mean, vineyard to Barnstable. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that incumbency in Massachusetts is powerful. Uh, you know, it, being a Kennedy is also powerful. Being, uh, but charisma is kind of necessary uh, to to win elections. And I don't feel that. I, I certainly feel that the more 
that voters got to know Kennedy, it seemed like the less that they liked him. Um, what is interesting is that they were able to bait Kennedy into defending uh, his house words. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was like really a stroke of genius because he had been running for so long on nothing, really, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then, except for like this kind of vague idea that, that he deserved it because he was a Kennedy. And he kept saying, no, no, it's about the issues, about the issues. And then, uh, well, what happens? Um, you know, they, they, uh, bait him into having to defend himself. And then he has, you know, then Pelosi, but then Pelosi steps in and Pelosi says, look, you know, I'm going to endorse Joe because I love the Kennedy family. And, 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 and I think that it's inappropriate. And, and Joe Kennedy raises a hundred thousand dollars off of that. And that's great. But Marky raises $400,000 off of it. So I think that it, it just really showed that, um, I think the Massachusetts voters just weren't like feeling the dynastic politics aspect of it. Yeah, the I, I think about uh, UMass released a poll uh, mid-August that showed Markey was up 15 points on Kennedy, and they also compiled it from the people they polled. They compiled, you know, different attributes and, and words that uh, respondents thought about each candidate, and the, then, then they formed word clouds based on the, the frequency of use, and, you know, Markey's were dedicated, uh, experienced, good, progressive, liber- liberal, reliable, hardworking, uh, old, smart, steady. And then you go to Kennedy's and it's entitled, opportunistic, <laughs> uh, wannabe, uh, arrogant, fake, untrusted. It was it's just like night and day in the uh, nepotism in the in the character uh, characterizations of each candidate. People just like clearly associated him with his family uh the their diet their aspirations for a dynasty and you know his relative lack of experience and success uh he was just you know there was no real reason i think i think the marketing campaign and his supporters did a really good job of framing it as like why are you running like why haven't you given a good reason for why you're running because he was clearly running to the right of marky uh he tried to frame it in kind of like the younger ideas type framework but it's like Nobody <laughs> gets like jazzed up. You're not going to cultivate a mass youth movement for neoliberalism, you know, unless it's like a general yeah. election. The alternative is Trump. That was kind of the funny thing about it, wasn't it? Afterwards, where it's like, you know, how people are just like scratching their heads, looking at what happened and saying, why do all these young people and especially all these like young people online? Why do they support this like longtime moderate Ed Markey? Uh, and it's like, well, it's not that fucking complicated. It's like you can, you can, it shows definitively that you can be a sort of establishment politician with a troubling record. You know, Marky voted for the crime bill in the Iraq war and he's got all kinds of like bad votes like that. But if you clearly, uh, embrace these very bold progressive, uh, policy visions and signal to the, your base, especially young people that really care about this stuff that you're going to not just use words or rhetoric to support it, but actually go to bat for it. Lo and behold, they will rally behind you. Uh, it's not. It's really not that complicated. Um, and you know, if only there was a there was a, a you know a longtime moderate Democrat running in a race right now, who is kind of lacking that youth support. If only there was some way that he could marshal some of that same support. But unfortunately, it's just a complete mystery. No one knows why these young people gravitated to Markey. It's impossible to say. 
But uh, yeah, I don't think it's amazing. I don't know if they're just paid to not understand this lesson, the sort of consultants and the people surrounding the uh, the the Kennedy campaign. But it's really not that fucking complicated. Uh, and if they wanted no. to get young people on board, there's a clear roadmap for how to do it. They're just del- they're just like deliberately choosing not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are, and and it's it's concerning uh, because I I am I'm starting to get pretty convinced that. Uh, Joe's not going to do it, uh. and 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 I hate I I hate to say it. Actually, no. You know what? No, I love to say it, and I'll tell you why I love to say it. Because every single time I've made a political prediction publicly on a podcast or or any or or on Twitter or or in an article, it's been a hundred percent wrong. So I will make that prediction <laughs> Same, now. Yeah, uh, my, wait, my, my batting I, average know. is not really great on that either. Uh, this show, <laughs> no. I mean, I, th- I thought the like, I thought Clinton was going to win Texas in 2016. I mean, like, it, 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 there there are no words for how badly I messed that up. <laughs> but my, you know, my concern about Biden's campaign is that there are no volunteers. Yep. Uh, yep. One hundred percent. Like, like two weeks ago uh, during the convention or something, or maybe it was more than two weeks ago, but whenever it was during the convention, uh, the Trump campaign bought out like the Washington Post front page. Things like the day of like the nomination or something like that, and like you know, uh, these media professors on Twitter were like whipping themselves into histrionics, like talking about how like how how can you do this? How can you sell this ad? Like, and it's like, guys, like why the fuck does Biden? Why does he not have this? Why did he not buy this? Mm-hmm. Like, why why did Trump have even the opportunity to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, no, like you cannot continually blame. Uh, well, I mean, they will, but like, you cannot continually blame this stuff on actors who are acting in the way that you would expect it to. You have to like ask the campaign that you want to win to actually like step it up a little bit. And I think that kind of talks about like what you're talking about with, you know, what the, the lessons that they should be learning from the market campaign that they are not, but that like, if you, you know, voter enthusiasm is good. So let's try to like, get some of that i mean i i live in i live in maine and i am not seeing a lot of biden signs but i am seeing a lot of trump signs and that is not making me feel very comfortable right now yeah yeah i i think about the dynamic and here we are again talking about the primary uh but i think about the dynamic where you know bernie had an army of like people mobilizing around the country to knock doors you know you can't do that but you would see updates from text teams about how many thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of texts people had sent all over the the country um i don't see that energy from from biden i think they're just relying on the same type of like here's a perfect example they're relying so they're relying on these types of like aesthetics and aesthetic choices and you know that's how they're kind of positioning their campaign because other than like Mr. Trump, you're you're our, the soul of the country is not good right now. How sad dare you, sir. type stuff. Yeah. yeah, like that kind of stuff. Other than that, it's like, what are they really really doing? And now like I'm seeing like Biden campaign people and supporters freak out today because okay, brace yourselves. Uh-oh. Kamala Harris got off the plane today wearing Chuck. 
Taylors. Now that Ooh, that's cool. is a vice president I can get excited yeah. about. No, it won't do anything for my material condition, <laughs> but seeing a vice president in Chucks, that is cool, man. And we want Girl a president boss. in school, right? I mean, look, <laughs> you love it. Look, you guys can put it however you want, but that is somebody with her finger on the pulse. <laughs> yeah. She gets it. She but gets like, it. I yeah. saw so many people. It's like, that's my VP. It's like, who fucking cares? Who cares? Who gives a shit? Like, what else is there? I, I, I yeah, it's just, like young people. Do... You don't. You want to? You know, we're not going to give you a green new deal. We're not going to legalize marijuana. We're not going to give you health care. Check out my shoes, though. Your sneakers. Oh my God, you like that? Just... You young, I mean, young people thing, like, like that, right? That, you like that, huh? In in a campaign, <laughs> in a campaign like the one that Obama ran in two thousand eight, something like that does work because you already had people along with you, mm-hmm. so you can do that kind yes. of. Le- I mean. Bernie can do shit like that too. Yeah. It's it's totally vapid, meaningless crap. Yeah. But they can still do it and and get that kind of admiration because they already have people on board. And the problem with obviously with, with Bernie in the in the primary was that he and his team were not were A not willing to go for the jugular and B did not uh, for some reason predict exactly what had happened would happen. Um, but like I'm not trying to replay it, I'm just saying that like that they had the enthusiasm thing down. They had the the, the popularity part down. Um, Biden does not have yeah. that. And, you know, I mean, you can definitely argue that the machine that he has around him. And and I have heard uh, from some people with longtime knowledge of Biden um, that he is a lot more cold and calculating than his public persona gives him credit for, that, that he's actually not... Uh, warm fuzzy senile grandpa that he's actually a rather vicious politician and like hey you know great because uh, that's obviously what you need to do to win yeah but like you also need enthusiasm and you need to get students and kids behind you and he is just like he's not doing that. yeah well that's the he's thing he might be cold it. and calculating and uh, which is i guess good in some cases but it's not good when you're he's basically a right-wing conservative if you actually look at like his positions uh, over the last uh, couple of decades. I also wanted to, while we're talking about Trump and Biden, I, I wanted to bring this up while we still have you as well, because this week there was the whole controversy about Trump saying mean stuff about troops and kind of launched into this kind of very vapid thing of like, sir, I'm a troop, sir, and do you think I'm a loser? And, you know, everyone kind of doing that very performative thing and, and talking about World War One for some reason, the whole news cycle about World War One for for some reason. Um, and that's the kind of same thing. I, Jordan, I just saw you tweeting about this, which is why I wanted to bring it up, where it's like, who's the one that's responsible for putting troops in Afghanistan for the last 20 fucking years and in Iraq and all that time? Like, it's not Donald Trump. Sorry, I know his foreign policy has been really bad, but, you know, what's what's impacting the troops more? Is it being sent overseas for fucking uh, years and then coming back and not having a job and not having, you know, mental health care and being tossed on the street? or being killed or maimed overseas uh, while you're carrying out these brutal imperialist wars? Or is it Donald Trump, like, talking out of his ass uh, and saying mean shit about the troops? Like, it's such a stupid argument because it's like, it it ends up just positioning Biden as someone who's just going to, like, defend these, like, completely indefensible choices that he's made over his career to uh, (laughs) put troops directly in harm's way. And in my opinion... That's a lot worse than just being like, hey, who are these guys? Like, why do we care about this? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. You know, Donald Trump being an asshole. You know, we all know he's an asshole. No, this is not moving anyone's, uh, this is not changing anyone's mind here. Hmm. Have you also considered uh, he's, uh, I'm going to take a step back. 
On that front, just today, Trump made a comment about how the U.S. military looks to start wars to boost yeah. the profits of defense contractors. And how could you ever say such a terrible thing? I can't believe <laughs> I that. Disgusting. This is, this is the moment. I was, I was thinking about this earlier because I saw a bunch of people talking. Like The troop thing sat with me all weekend because I just fucking hate it. And the Republican Party is 100% guilty of that. Maybe more than the Democratic Party, but it's neck and neck because both parties are responsible for it. That said... I am dying to hear how the Biden campaign responds to this because he was in the administration yeah. when they were trying to withdraw troops. Now Democrats are voting against troop withdrawals proposed by Ilhan Omar, probably partially because she proposed it, but also just because they're beholden to the military uh, and, and military contractors. We had the incident. We had the, the issue during the appropriations bill with with recruiting kids on Twitch and hundred and like 20 or 140 Democrats voted against it. So now we have a large chunk of the Democratic Party voting against efforts that would help scale back the the military industrial complex. Oh, also, Bernie and Markey introduced a 10% uh, cut to uh, <laughs> the military budget, which would have basically just taken it back to 2017 levels, and they voted against that. So all of these efforts, cool. and now Trump points out the obvious that both parties do, and we're going to see the same type of knee-jerk reaction that's like, you have to respect the troops, sir, and they get into this pissing contest. Instead of saying, yeah. you know what, hey, maybe we shouldn't have uh, endless wars. Maybe we don't need to be uh, everywhere, stationed and across the entire world. Maybe we don't need to be pumping trillions of dollars into these fucking boondoggles around the world as people starve, as kids are hanging out outside of fast food restaurants to use Wi-Fi so they can go to school. Well, during the yeah. pandemic, like, maybe we should start to talk about these types of things, but we can't. We are so fundamentally incapable of having a realistic conversation about the role of the military in in in, in American life and this type of valor bullshit, where you can't you can't mock the you can't criticize any troops because you're gonna have you're gonna be flooded with fucking psychopaths posting their dead grandpa who served in, who was in like Charlie <laughs> Company doing war crimes in Vietnam and saying yeah. uh, demanding an apology from Trump. It's just we can't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I sir, yeah, have I you know my my grandfather uh, dumped Asian orange uh, all over the fucking jungle of Vietnam, creating a generation of horrific birth defects. You apologize to that wonder, that great man immediately, <laughs> sir. Disgraceful. I mean, like it, it's the thing. The thing is that, like you know, if you've ever talked to or or worked with or like and, and I have, I, I I used to work like really long time ago. I used to work with a. Uh, uh, an organization in Washington State called Black Dog Foundation that works with veterans and PTSD survivors. And, like, they, you know, it is my non-veteran perception that most people who served in the military obviously uh, want to be respected. But one of the reasons that they want to be respected is because they've just been disrespected so much by institutional leaders on both sides of the aisle. And for Trump to say something like that um, might irritate them, but they're just not going to really give a shit about it. Like it's not, it, it's not, it's not affecting their, it's not making the VA hospital, um, you know, stop rejecting their claims for esophageal cancer that they got from the agent orange that they were either dropping or were also inhaling while they were on the ground there. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to like stop them from getting uh, Gulf war syndrome 
or or and having their claims rejected for all of that stuff. So I, I I don't really see it as 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 something that's going to like have a huge effect on it from from that perspective. But of course, you know, the people who are going to be the loudest shrieking about this are people who just don't really give a shit about this in any other way than it's an opportunity to score points in uh, against Trump on some sort of weird battle or well, maybe that's not the right analogy to use considering what we're talking about on some weird playing field where, uh, you know, caring about war and the troops and making sure that defense contractors aren't slandered is, is somehow uh, a winning issue for them. It's just not like, it, it's just not a thing. Like, like people just don't care about this anymore to the same extent that they did. And it kind of reminds me of, and I'm going to plug something that I wrote, um, this kind of Bush rehabilitation thing that, that the Democrats have been doing. I wrote about this for New Republic last week, where they're just kind of like, they're trapped in this mindset where they want to be Bush Republicans without the evangelical social uh, conservative politics. They just want to have like all of the jingoism and the war so that they can feel tough and like their daddy and and the GOP isn't daddy anymore. They're like they're the new daddy. Um, and it, it's just it's it's like it's enraging because there's just no reason for it that really makes sense other than the fact that they just desperately want to be GOP Bush era. Like they want the flyovers. They want to go to the World Series in 2001 and have Al Gore throw out the first pitch to Derek Jeter instead and like and, and have like the fighter jets going overhead. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they want to like go to the football game and like have like fireworks going off and 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 the troops standing there like, you know, some, some guy in fatigues like crying, saluting the flag and like talking about how much he loves John Kerry instead of George Bush. <laughs> you know, like that's like the kind of stuff that they want. And and it, it's it's infuriating uh, on a number of levels, including like politically, because it's just such a, a, a losing fight. And it's also infuriating because of what you're talking about, Jordan, that like we spend so much money on the military in this country and so little money on anything else. And what does it get us other than like it doesn't get anybody anything who's not a member of the one percent who are the ones who are making money off of either the war itself or the spoils of war. And I think that everybody pretty much gets that. And that's why when Trump says stuff like this, like it doesn't it, it doesn't offend people, it doesn't really offend veterans to the point that you would think it does. It doesn't offend uh, working class people. The only people that it offends are people who have like this kind of weird fetishization of the military that's based on having no material uh, um, communication with or no, no, that's not the right word. No, they, they have no material interaction with it at all. Other than like reaping the benefits of it and having and thinking of it in some kind of like weird ideological abstract way, and so yeah, like maybe this will like have Max Boot write another nice column in the Washington Post about how he's going to regretfully vote for Joe Biden because it, his Republican Party is gone now. But like as far as like it changing anyone's mind or anything, it's not going to. All Trump is doing right now is he's making a point that he knows that everybody agrees with on some level, and he's doing it to basically bait. Biden and the rest of the Democrats into responding to it. And they're going to. And it's just going to be another fucking cycle of this bullshit. That's my take on it. <sighs> to beat the Republicans, we must become the Republicans. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's the, the, the really option. annoying thing. This is where they've been going for, for decades now. And it's like, 
great. Like if this is your campaign, we've talked over the last couple of weeks how this is a Biden's whole campaign is just being pitched explicitly to conservatives and to two disaffected Republicans. And, you know, if you manage to do that and win and Trump is gone, well, great. But what have you really accomplished there? Like you, really America's just taken a giant step backwards at that point. So yeah, I guess orange man bad. I agree with that. But, um, you know, a, a Joe Biden, like right wing government is not exactly a, a, a huge step in the right direction for the United States. Um, Owen, thanks for joining the show, man. It was great to speak to you about all this stuff. Thanks for coming on. Good to leave it on an uplifting note like that, right? <laughs> yes. That's why we like to do it here. We want to make sure everyone walks away with a big smile on their face about the, the future, the bright future of, of America and the world. So that's what we're bringing to yep. the table with this. Uh, Either way, things are going to be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Why don't you let everyone know where they can find you online and where they can find your work before we say goodbye here? Yeah, I would just say um, I'm I'm back doing original reporting freelancing right now. So uh, just follow me on Twitter, E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S underscore at Owen Higgins underscore. And that's uh, I always have my latest thing pinned and you can find out find my other stuff within my my uh, timeline. Cool. Awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, despite the, uh, you know, Start, starting off the show by besmirching gamers but you know otherwise yeah, pretty that great wasn't, that wasn't cool but <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i regret nothing <laughs> i am who i am god damn it all right well that's why we love you Owen. but thanks again we'll, we'll talk to you later man all right thanks guys Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. 